Welcome to Jaffa's Space, a podcast about the world of Jewish outdoor food, farming, and environmental education, also known as Jaffe. I'm Yoshi Silverstein. And I'm Hannah Henza. Together, we are the Jaffe program team at Chazon, the Jewish Lab for Sustainability. Jaffe is a catch-all term shared by many to describe educational experiences that connect people to Judaism, community, and the natural world through hands-on, thoughtful, and engaging Jewish content across different ages, backgrounds, and religious approaches. It's a growing movement with people, programs, and organizations throughout North America who are doing some pretty incredible things. Join us as we get to know the people behind this work, learn what Jaffe looks like on the ground, and get the inside scoop on the challenges, obstacles, and moments of serendipity that have shaped today's Jaffe landscape. Ready to go? Grab your shovel, your rake, or whatever your tool of choice, and let's dig in. Hello and welcome to our first episode of Jaffa's Space. We are Yoshi and Hannah from the Chazon Jaffe team. We are delighted to welcome for our first episode our guests Yosef Gillers and Sarah Just Michael from Grow Torah. Yosef is Chief Soul and Soil Cultivator, also known as Founder and Executive Director. And Sarah is Lashon Hatov Propagator, which is the propagator of the good word, um, also known as Communications Associate and Garden Educator. Welcome. We are so delighted to have you with us. Hey, we're psyched to be here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So, yeah, thanks for being here. And um, I think I think we just want to start out by hearing a little bit about how you each got to where you are. I mean, Grotora, what a what a unique project. So, Yosef, how how did you land here? How how did this come to be? I've been in love with nature my whole life, which is cool and fun. And in my undergraduate studies, I I majored in environmental studies connected with the the bigger picture, some of the bigger problems and some of the bigger opportunities for, for working towards that and participated in a Jewish farm school alternative spring break. And that was my first entree into the, uh, the Jewish outdoor food and farming and environmental education world. Fast forward and I started working with Amir, working on summer camp gardens. And then one of those gardens, those were summers when I was studying in rabbinical school. And one of those gardens happened to be at a Jewish day school. And we approached the school and said, hey, would you all like to have a garden happen during the school year as well? They said, sure. And that became the pilot program for Grow Torah. That was the first school in Paramus, New Jersey. And thank God now we're at 12 schools and I get to do this at, uh, I get to teach Torah in gardens at six of those 12 schools. Wow, what an incredible story. What growth. And so somewhere along the line, you brought on Sarah. So Sarah, how, how did you end up doing this? <laughs> yeah, I actually did not have such a in-depth background of working in the environmental fields, but I was itching to get involved with something, some way that I could add to what felt like the environmental crisis to me and <laughs> found Grotor online. And I just sent a blind email. Uh, I was actually working at a tech startup, which was one of the things that worked well for Grotora in choosing me to work with them in that I had 
startup experience and we are very kind much of, <laughs> very very true yeah and and i've i've been in jewish day school systems and i love nature and i've taught in the past so i kind of was able to fit in and help bring grow torah a little bit forward in a startup style way a little that's so it's so great when things feel like serendipitous or, or you know you have those those crossover skills you never thought would actually crossover in any any kind of way so that's always fun to hear thanks for sharing your stories it's always really fascinating to just hear how folks end up in this space the joppy space and in my experience brings people from all over in in so many different different pathways to to this shared space so thanks and and jewish farm school alternative spring break was on a farm called oz farm out in northern california Mm -hmm. And I happened to go to a wedding last night at Oz Farm in Socrates, New York, of uh, of our my dear friend, our, one of our board members, Isaiah, Rabbi Isaiah Rothstein, who also happens to be <laughs> Rabbi residence at Chazon. So Oz Farm, Oz Farm, Chazon, Jaffe, everything. Small world. There's all those overlapping. Perfect day to be recording this. It really is. We, well, we planned that with, you know, <laughs> we, we actually were developing a new calendar called serendipity scheduler and it just automatically populates based on the like serendipitous moment and i'm like well, that would actually be great we should sarah with your tech background we're, we're gonna start working yeah we're gonna so, make it happen you worked at you know uh approaches jewish day school about thinking say hey what what if we had gardens year round right not just in the summertime and that led to grotora so tell us grotora you know is still quite young i uh, would love to hear just you know what is grotora's mission what a little more detail about what led to creating this what's it look like now what's the work that you do totally grotor's mission is to cultivate a more passionate compassionate and sustainable jewish future driven by torah values we do that through educational gardens at jewish day schools and we are privileged to teach students in gardens every single week of the growing season whether it's the week before pesach or the week before Hanukkah, we're getting to teach and and tie in all of the Jewish connections in this beautiful, positive way of inspiration that we hope will, in addition to the education that we're providing, help these students develop meaningful and lasting connections to the beautiful natural world and help move us, propel us all forward towards a more healthy, compassionate, and sustainable future. What does that mean for your work to be driven through Torah values? We try to frame everything within uh, traditional, even mainstream Orthodox Jewish thinking and language and texts so that in the, especially the Orthodox day schools that we're working in, it all feels to the students and the administration very much in line with the rest of what they're learning so that it's not this crazy out there thing that we're trying to convince them is Jewish, but helping our whole community realized this is inherently Jewish and Torah-based. So using Torah text, traditional Torah text, traditional Torah commentaries, framing it in, in using language that, that is familiar and comfortable. And what's really awesome is if we're quoting a pasuk that the students you know, are already familiar with, we can start it. And then having them just get to jump in and finish the pasuk for us and rattle off the mitzvot. I think, Sarah, you had an experience like that just last week. Yeah, so, I mean, frequently in the gardens, since the students are coming from a place where they are already immersed in Torah learning, but they're not necessarily bringing their Torah learning that has to do with nature into nature, it's been really great to have students out in the garden where we ask them a question and 
they know the answer. If we, for example, when we were learning about Shavuot and we say there's some some mitzvot that are only for people who grow food and they can rattle off Bikurim and Peya and Leket and Shechecha and all of these different mitzvot that are in the Torah of ways that you were given that we should be, for example, let's say, Peya. You're supposed to give a corner of your field to leave a corner of your field for four people to come and pick whatever is left there. And that is something that they do learn about in the classroom and something that we talk about in the garden and how we can do a modern day version of that. And in the United States, which is so far where all of our gardens are, <laughs> but we'll see, maybe we'll expand. And so it's, it's been really great to have students be able to say, oh, we learned about that in the classroom and then take that classroom learning out into the garden and into practice where they get to be the ones touching the food and picking and donating. Oh yes, we donate everything to a local food pantry called the Center for Food Action. And they actually have their own garden there. So they are very understanding of when they get small harvest donations because they recognize that all of those small donations are useful and add flavor and nutrition to their meals. So that's been really a great partnership for us also. Great. And why does that feel important to donate the, the harvest? Well, we try to frequently, it's often for children to understand the concept of charity and that they don't make their own money. But when you grow your own food, you did work for something and you have that ownership over something, you know, instead of giving money that your parents gave you, which you did earn in a way. We teach that value of giving charity and that excitement of getting something and that you, you worked hard for it and then giving it away and sharing it with others who don't have what you have has been really valuable for us and for our students and they all seem excited to, that they, so far at least, <laughs> get to taste some of what they're growing and then also get to share it with those in need, which has been really, really cool to see. And the cool thing with that, with the tasting, is the students will, they're, they're not eating a lot of the food that they grow, but the amazing feedback we, we love to hear from parents is, my kid came home and is asking me for chives now and for <laughs> What, what, what was that, arugula? You know, some, some folks are not necessarily as familiar with the vegetables that we're growing in our gardens and, and their kids come home requesting it. It's really, really lovely to get to see, to, to hear that impact happening. And even if from when I, was, when, when I was starting this, thinking, oh no, the kids are just gonna get to taste it. Are they gonna get that message? And I think that experience is so impactful, even if it's just in small doses, that it really, thank God, it is having that impact already. And I also want to say we, we actually frame all of our curricular work into four core value areas. So our, our four core values that really just kind of captures what I think everything that we try to do is number one, incubating emuna, and I'll explain them all. Number two is environmental stewardship. Number three is compassion for creatures. And number four is tzedakah. So the first one, incubating emuna is giving students opportunities to just see the beauty in the natural world. And when we see that, to talk about God, to talk about Hashem and say, this is the Hashem. This is the God that we're talking about in the classroom that we're learning about that, that took us out of Egypt. That same God is the God that creates these vegetables. And so to give them a real meaningful personal experience that connects with that, that's, that's the goal there. Number two. And how are, you, how are you translating Amuna in this sense? Amuna's faith. Thank you. Yeah, we're translating yeah. that as faith. And trust. Um, yeah. And I think another, another way that we really get to see Emuna 
faith in a very practical way is planting is just the craziest thing. You drop a tiny little seed into dirt. Seems like you're doing nothing. And then once the kids get to see growth, they come back every week and check and they're like, we're the, we're the class that planted the sugar snap peas looking for those sugar snap peas that they had planted is super exciting to them. And the fact that it, nature works is God's, is God's workings. And that's, that's been really powerful for the kids to see also. Right. I'm reminded of sort of this the idea of faith that we have, that when the sun goes down, it will come back up the next day. And there's, it's, it's one of those things yeah. that on the one hand is literally a daily thing, a ha- pattern, a natural cycle that we see. And on the one hand, we can just get very used to it and sort of take for granted. But the other way of framing it is, wow, what a holy miracle that this does happen every day. And it is sort of an act of faith of sort of going to bed every night, right? And trusting that the sun will be up the next day. And the same thing, it's, it's such a natural thing to have a seed turn into a plant that we can eat. But that's also such a miracle of this, you know, there's, there's nothing that you can, you could see from that seed that would tell you, oh, obviously this is going to become a tomato. Right? <laughs> and, and another kind of a signature pedagogy, something we try to do every time a student is in one of our gardens is, make at least one, if not two different types of brachot, Jewish traditional blessings to show our appreciation and kind of like cement in that practice of of appreciation and gratitude in that faith-based way. And so even if we're not eating anything, we'll at least get to smell some of our fragrant herbs and make a bracha of besamim. And it's really fun, especially when we end up teaching the teachers for example, Bissamim, we make that bracha um, on Saturday nights during Havdalah when Shabbat ends. So most of the students in our classes know that bracha of Bissamim, but there's actually more than one Bissamim bracha. There's one for Atse Bissamim from the root verb eights, like tree, from things that have a harder stock. And then there's Isve Bissamim, which has a softer stock. Asev is grass or weed. And then there's Shinoten Reach Tov for fruits. And so some of the teachers come in and I didn't know there was more than one blessing for different vegetables, for different smells, for different plants, because they only have that one Gore Mine Besamim bracha that they know because it's in Havdalah, which maybe people wouldn't know even about that. So that's been also really cool to see where learning has stopped and continues and how we can hit different demographics of Mm -hmm. teaching. And do you find that the, I mean, it sounds like on the one hand, it sort of gives the students more appreciation for the fragrant herbs and the different things growing in the natural world. Do you find that it also gives them more appreciation for the sort of Jewish, you know, these these Hebrew texts and traditions and just right learning that there are multiple blessings for Bissamim that are sort of differentiated into, well, this is the one for the woodier stock and this is one for the, the soft stock, right? Like, what, how, how have you seen that play out? So far, general general sense of shock that there's that type of nuance for a smell of an herb, <laughs> um, which is cool. And, and also, it's clearly these blessings are very old and they were written with that nuance. I think that maybe back in the day, we might have been a little bit more in touch with nature in that we were looking for those nuances of differences of a hard stock and a soft stock. But also, we do that with, with creatures. We are very big on compassion for creatures. And kids will say, oh yeah, I learned about this in class. I know, I know. But then we come outside and we find a worm 
and it's the most exciting thing. And we're like, remember what you learned in the classroom that you have to be nice to the creatures. This is one of those creatures that you learned about and that it has a value in the garden and it's actually really helpful. And we talk about that and then we pass it around and the kids get to touch it and some kids scream and some kids love it and another kid asks to take it home as its pet. <laughs> so watching kids get to fall in love with it and also creatures and sometimes with the plants, sometimes with nature, and sometimes they're scared. And sometimes we try and change that mentality from yuck to cool, which has also been exciting. And peer pressure kind of helps. <laughs> it's a, not a great thing to say, but when one kid's like, ooh, cool, a worm, the kid who said, ew, yuck, a worm might, might get more excited about the worm. Right, it's like shifting that narrative of what's of what's cool. Sarah, speaking of shifting, thank you for bringing us back. Um, I feel like the danger of saying we're going to list out four things is that then saying, <laughs> wait, awesome. we're, we're still on like number one. You kind of brought us to number three. I don't know exactly where we're at, but Yosef, why don't you finish, finish, please, finish telling us about these core values that you base your curriculum off of. Right on. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so incubating Amuna, faith, giving those opportunities. Number two, environmental stewardship is when the students are out in the garden, really appreciating the role that gardens, especially we do a lot of pollinator gardens, and a lot of pollinator friendly flowers, bringing in, you know, providing habitat and shelter for the pollinators is, is both environmental stewardship and compassion for creatures at the same time. And so we'll teach the students about that, see all the different native bees that are making their ways into our gardens and different, you know, beneficial insects that come as well. And then the garden becomes the centerpiece and a springboard for environmental sustainability in the school. So we we try to use it to start a composting program in the school and help with other environmental initiatives. It gets a little bit complicated when schools are struggling to recycle to start composting also, but that's that's one of our challenges and opportunities that that's really living out that environmental stewardship piece. That was number two. And then number three is the compassion for creatures. And so Sarah touched on that with the worms and the butterflies and the bees and the pollinators and every different creature that's in the garden to get to teach about all the mitzvot and Torah obligations and discussions about compassion for creatures, whether it's Tsar Bale Chaim, which is the kind of paradigm for not inflicting pain on creatures and animals, but it really diving into that with the students is really exciting. And then the fourth one, Tzedakah, we actually had referenced before how we donate our weekly our weekly harvest to a local food pantry. And so we're teaching the students about the ancient practices that apply for the most part in Eretz Israel in the land of Israel and our own kind of modern day version of it that's that's more age appropriate and more psychologically and developmentally appropriate for the students when they're growing it themselves that's a real tzedakah that they can bring themselves those are the four and then we we get to weave in connection to all the holidays as well and, and try to weave in Parsha, Parsha yeah. as well we're actually um we're working on our on our curriculum right now for next year where we hope to have one to three lessons for every Parsha of the year that tie into the garden in some way. And, and some common vegetable plants as well, a, a nice Torah value lesson for every, for, for many of the vegetables we're growing in, in the gardens. Uh, there'll be little laminated curriculum cards that we'll hopefully publish. So stay tuned. This episode of Jaffa Space is brought to you by Worms. One of nature's top soil scientists, worms are a jack of all soil trades. Worms are like mini rototillers, turning the soil by bringing down organic matter from the top and mixing it with soil below.
Not only do they help break down organic matter like leaves, grass, and food scraps, they actually make these materials even more nutritious through the castings they leave behind from their, well, worm behind. In fact, the roughly 500,000 worms you can expect to find in one acre of soil can create a drainage system equal to 2,000 feet of 6-inch pipe. That is a lot of work all done in exchange for food and garden scraps from above and a cozy home underground. So, next time you see an earthworm poking its head out of a pile of dirt, make sure to say thank you. And now, back to our regularly scheduled program. sounds like you both are just such wonderful, passionate educators, and that's really what, you know, is the heart and soul of Grotora. But uh, when we think a little bit about, like, a day in the life, what are you each doing, you know, outside of educating? Because as much as we all wish that we could be, you know, unfortunately, like, we don't always get to spend all of our days in the garden or, or teaching kids. Sounds like you have slightly different roles behind the scenes. What does that look like for each of you? How does, how does Grotora actually uh, keep it going every day well there is a lot of running around that comes into our job because we are thank god at 12 different schools as we said this week one for each tribe for now okay. <laughs> uh, that's a lot but, for two people well we, you you are not you can't take any more schools the number is it's, it's set. <laughs> that's it you're done for each tribe, that's it <laughs> now that we've said that one for each tribe we only go in multiples of 12 so. oh okay <laughs> great great well, you get you can go from twelve to you can go to eighteen, right? So, like that's still a good Jewish number, right? So it's just you got to take a batch of six. So there you yeah. go. Anyway, good save, Yoshi. Twelve or eighteen, either. So it's not just the two of us. Right now, we also have Sarah Chandler, who's unbelievable. She teaches at our two Brooklyn schools. On a day-to-day -day basis, Yosef and I are also running around to the, uh, the other schools. Uh, Yosef teaches at 12 schools. I teach at four. Nice. I, six. Sorry, six schools. I teach at four, and Sarah <laughs> teaches at two. That's our 12. And then when we're not in the garden, we're doing all of the fun things like... I, I, I want to play it like this. Yeah, if we ahead. could each do like a Tuesday in April and then like a Tuesday in June. How's I that? love it. Yeah. Just give us like a Great. snapshot of, yeah, like what yeah. happens early spring? What happens like midsummer? Yeah. And maybe a Wednesday in December just to round it out. Yeah. yeah. All right. Great. So yeah. Wednesday in December. Tuesday in June. Uh, Tuesday in April. You go ahead. You can say. Okay. Tuesday in April. My Tuesday is in April look like this. I'm at SAR Academy in the morning with the early childhood students for a few hours. Then I hop over to their high school. That's in Riverdale. I hop over to their high school and I teach for about two hours doing an elective club, their high school students. And then I hop back to the academy, which is like a mile away. And I work with their elementary school for three hours. And that takes me to 4 p.m. And then from four to six, I will take meetings with funders. I will work on logistics of the operations of the school. I'll send invoices to school. I'll cash checks. I'll debrief with Sarah over the phone, usually over our commutes home, um, how the day went, what we learned, what were some successes, what were some challenges. That's a Tuesday in April for me, you know, safe. Okay, Tuesday for me, since I have fewer schools, would be maximum two schools in that I t would teach usually for four hours at either Yavna or Mariah, which are two different schools that like to alternate their weeks so that we hit different students, which has been 
confusing to stay on schedule, but really fun. <laughs> and then logistics um, are insane. Yeah. And then there's a preschool nearby where instead of going and teaching students for four hours, I teach a group of teachers for one hour so that those teachers can teach other teachers who then all teach their classes, which is a new thing we're trying out. Startup insert here (laughs) that we're like testing out different business models and products. Exactly. Thank you, Sarah. Prototyping, I believe, is the design thinking term. Well done. Well done. Oh, but backtrack uh, starting at 7 a.m., I'm posting on our Grotora Instagram first for an original post and then throughout the day, whatever three locations the Grotora educators are at are sending me photos which are being put onto the Insta stories because social media is important. And then also that means often it's getting parts that we need. Sometimes that's setting up drip irrigation. Sometimes it's a school wants another garden bed. For, to dedicate to have a dedication ceremony and they want a new bed with just has lavender in it so it's like finding something very specific for each school and then sometimes it could be bringing in harvest from all of our schools so that the harvest isn't that small and it could also be we have a, a co-working office space and I frequently will sit there and work on our master curriculum project that's been going on for a while and that's a day in April. So what does the, the height of growing season look like if that's your, your early spring? I mean, could it get busier? But also, like, you're, oh, on, you're working with schools, school right? So what, so what happens yeah. so what in happens? general in summertime? Yeah. So right now, um, today is our first week not in the schools. This, this morning, we went for a short one-hour hike to initiate our, our summer intern into our, our little small community. And then the rest of the day, we're working on our curriculum. And then tomorrow, we'll be doing maintenance at half of our gardens and almost no curriculum work. And then while Sarah and our summer intern are doing that, I'm working on a couple of grants with our grant writer who just, just works with us on grant writing and, and fundraising. And so the summer is going to be maintaining six of our 12 gardens while the other six have camps that take over for the summer. And we we do teach at two of those throughout the summer also. And then we'll have our own Grow Tower Camp, which is exciting. Week-long camp at Cropsey Community Park in New City. So that's going to be super fun too. That is uh, the week just before Joffy Network Gathering. Ah, so you guys have have a busy summer lined up. So it sounds like you continue to do the maintenance on these gardens over the half summer. The, yeah, right. half of them. We open up to the schools and their families and the teachers to come join us whenever we're there, um, just as an opportunity to get more people involved and people who are interested in spend, and learning more and spending more time on gardening to come join us. Yeah. It definitely sounds like all hands on deck. So speaking of that training piece, you, you were kind of mentioning earlier some of the, the teachers at the schools getting involved. How, how has that reception been with, with you all coming in and, and sort of bringing these outside perspectives and, and thinking about, you know, how that fits into their overall curriculum? What's that integration been like? It's been so far, for the most part, very well received. This one rabbi heard that a garden was starting and came running out to the garden to say, we need to be planting wheat because the first 11 of the 39 malachot of Shabbat, meaning the 39 creative act that you are not supposed to do on Shabbat 
are called siduri pot, which is how you make bread. And it's all, it's all about the details of the process of wheat growing and what you do to wheat to make it into bread. And every single aspect of every single step of that process is not allowed on Shabbat. So he was like, we have to grow wheat so that our classes can learn about the ways you make bread and the things you're not allowed to do on Shabbat in a practical, tangible way and get to see the wheat and get to winnow the wheat and get to do all of these things. And he comes out jumping in the garden every time he sees growth and he has never grown wheat before. And he's so excited to get to do it and bring his students into the garden. So that was a really fun one. And the best part was I was like getting a pint of wheat berries from Neely Simhai's Abundance Farm. I was like getting those seeds the next week, already planning on doing that. And he's like, we need to be doing it. And we're like, we're going to do it. It's already in the plans. It was like, talk about that serendipitous calendaring. Um, yeah. That was, I would say, like the best so far. Right. Um, and he's, and I think that's like kind of our benchmark of like, all right, we want to get all of the, probably close to a thousand teachers that we could be touching, you know, engaging with at our schools. I have to look at the exact numbers. It's it's 5,000 students that we taught this spring and, and probably about 1,000 teachers. So our goal is to get all of them at that level for them to feel like there is something totally integratable into their curriculum already and that their time in the garden is enhancing their classroom learning in the most beautiful way. And the real the real kicker is if we can do all of that without adding a minute of extra prep time for them, I think they will love what we do we're not there yet but if we could do that find a way to that all of our curriculum planning is completely integrating and enhancing their classroom learning i think that's really that would really be special and that's yeah. where that's where we're trying to get it. right so, so we've started talking to Torah teachers and also stem teachers from the science classes to to try and hit different aspects of what's going on in the classrooms we've also had teachers at the end of the class come up to us and say i want to i want to have you come have grow Torah gardening program at my house and have had fundraisers at their house for us, which was amazing. And had teachers come up to us after class and say, I work at a summer camp. How can I get you at my summer camp? I'm sending an email to you and the director camp and get a, and try and get you in. And then we also have had teachers at schools who then send their kids to be our summer intern. Yeah. So a lot of the teachers are, are, are into it. <laughs> That's, that's yeah, so awesome. Our interns sitting in the room. <laughs> <laughs> what are you really excited about right now? I'm really excited to fundraise this summer. And that's crazy. And I would not imagine. Yeah, that that's day. not one you hear every day. <laughs> because, and, and the reason I'm, I'm blessed to be able to say that is we've been in this Orthodox Union Accelerator program for, for Orthodox-focused startup programs, and they have really helped me shift the focus and helped us shift the focus of fundraising. It's not a dirty word. It's a really amazing opportunity to engage people who have resources, and it doesn't always mean a lot of money. It means resources. It might mean they want to help, you know, whatever it is, bringing them in as partners in our growth. And I'm really excited to do that because of examples like we just shared of a parent at a school sending, a, having their child become our summer intern. Like people, this is really landing with people in a beautiful way. And I'm excited to see how much it really is landing with them and check in with me at the end of the summer to see how that goes. <laughs> um, so far, I've been really pleasantly surprised with, with the outcome. Um, and we have a long, long way to go in terms of fundraising, but it's been really inspiring and energizing. So that's why I'm excited for that. 
Well, we we will be excited to hear from you how that goes at Jaffe Network Gathering at the end of yeah. summer. So <laughs> yeah, so stay tuned. Maybe we'll even you know do a little in in the moment recording there. So. Moving into our sort of final few minutes, we'd love to hear from both of you. You know, Sarah, maybe we'll start with you and then Yosef, uh, you next. So we'd love to just hear, you know, in, in this journey of being involved with GrowTora, just how, what are some of the highlights in terms of how y'all have grown professionally? We were actually just talking about this the other day. It's been really great to work, to get to work with people who are, respectful, professional, and I can relate to, I feel like, not just GrowTora, everyone who I've met through working at GrowTora, which includes people in the Joffe network, (laughs) has been very exciting because I feel like I was working with a very different type of person in the tech startup field. And it's been cool to bring what I know from there into GrowTora and then integrate what I'm learning GrowTora into who I am also. And professionally, I've just taken on a lot of new roles in that I I was only a teacher for a little bit, but I was never a garden educator before now. And Yosef trained me and some time at Isabella Friedman trained me and the Jaffe Fellowship. I feel like I've I've learned so much on this job that I just didn't know before. So that's been really cool that I have a new job and have several titles where I feel like I've learned a lot in each one. I um my role shifts Uh, I have a leadership kind of activity or assessment with a mentor of mine where she's like, just map out all the different things you do as part of your responsibilities. And it's a spreadsheet of like 75 different things chunked into different categories. And I love that. I thrive on the diversity of opportunities to engage. I love that I get to teach elementary school, nursery school, and high school students all in the same day through gardens. And then I'm challenged to that and then have to shift into, into speaking with funders about the impact that we're having in a meaningful way. And so I'm really learning that role a lot more this year and shifting more towards that. And I would say something I've really specifically appreciated this year has just been, I always thought of business and the business side of things as a dirty word, especially in like the New York City metropolitan area. There's the, I definitely felt that it, it was dirty. And I think there are incredible people who work in business and the business of things doesn't always mean dirty business. And so appreciating just how to move things smoothly and operations and really leaning into that opportunity to run the organization and grow it in a successful, responsible way has challenged me to rethink the word business and, and really run the organization in, in, a, in a special way in that and that pushes me daily in, in different ways yeah i can even see that you can, you can even argue that going from teaching preschoolers right three four-year-olds where you gotta simplify that language down right could actually be pretty useful for them talking to funders not that you are <laughs> totally. like preschoolers but like you've got that language already where where you like really boiled it down or condensed it right into like the really clear direct language and that you know, may, maybe we should all spend a little more time talking to preschoolers. Uh, so we are two final questions for you all. The first is what advice would you give for folks who are getting more involved in the world of Jaffe? And then the other question is just, we are excited to see you all at Jaffe Network Gathering. And we'd love to hear just what are each of you excited about Jaffe Network Gathering? I am in the Jaffe Fellowship this year, which has been 
awesome. And as part of that, I'm going to the Jaffe Network Gathering. So I'm very excited to, since I didn't have much experience in the Jaffe space before this fellowship, the only people I really know in this space is, are people who I've met through Grow Torah and through the Jaffe Fellowship. So, and it's, and it's been awesome to get to meet people I have. So I'm really excited to get to meet a lot more people and continue learning at Joffy Network Gathering because I've heard really great things about it. Today, I was just talking to someone who we, we bumped into who was saying that just telling me their great experiences at the gathering. And so that's definitely something I'm looking forward to. And also, I, since I wasn't working in anything Joffy type beforehand, I was itching for it though. And I was researching and I always thought about going to things like Joffy Network Gathering or like these has own food conferences that I've seen advertised around. And so I think that's definitely something I would recommend if someone's new to the Jaffe field or space is to just show up and start going and start meeting people. And once you start meeting people, they'll connect you to other people and you get to talk uh, and that, that networking spirals on its own, which is always cool to see how, Oh, you know, this person that, you know, it's a little bit of Jewish geography, but a bit more in a specific area. So that's definitely something that I'm looking forward to furthering. Thank you. What are you excited about and what advice do you have to give? I would say the number one advice that I would give is how Sarah came to Grow Toro was just cake initiative. And, and like she said, show up. She emailed me a year and a half ago and now we're here. Our and now organization I'm, I'm has, the second full-time employee. Actually. Yeah, you're the second full-time employee. Our organization has grown in incredible ways because of that email, because of your work, um, because you took that initiative. So I would say show up. I would say also all of us bring such interesting and unique, our perspectives, our backgrounds, our experiences. And I think that like a healthy ecosystem thrives on the biodiversity. I think organizations and the movement and our future will succeed from all of us bringing our unique talent and gifts to each other and giving. And I think that's really, really important and something I'm trying to really also appreciate about what are, what is my special sauce? Even if I don't think about it as a special sauce, what can I give to other people? And that that's special. And what I'm really excited about for the network gathering is I see a lot of the folks in this movement as, as personal heroes of mine. And I, I get to come and hang out with my heroes for a Shabbos and a weekend a few times a year. And the, the generosity of spirit that, that all of you who's listening and Yoshi, you're one of them, have given me in, in welcoming in, me into this world and welcoming Grotor into this world. It drives me so strongly. And it's like a source of energy. And then I want to continue to give that back in, in, in any ways that I can. Because I think the work that we're all doing in the Jaffe space is so important. And we all succeed more and, and further each other's mission, theory of change that we're all striving towards is so important. And we're all here. We're all in this together. We all take a bath. Amen, amen. Well, thank you, Yosef and Sarah, so much for your time and ideas and just energy and the work that you're putting out into the world. We can find you where? We can find you at growtora.org. We can find, honestly, you probably have the best Instagram in the Jaffe space. Wow! <laughs> I mean, I can't say that the competition is incredibly steep, <laughs> but, uh, but but there we go. I do admire your Instagram social media work. It is it is definitely an account that all of our 
super social media savvy followers should listeners should follow. So with that, thank you so much. We are really excited to see you all at Jaffe Network Gathering and uh, maybe coming by our, our office sometime soon. Thank you all so much. Jaffe programs are made possible by a growing web of staff, participants, volunteers, lay leaders, donors, organizations, institutions, and foundations. In particular, our national Jaffe work at Chazon is made possible by funding from the Jim Joseph Foundation. This podcast was produced by Yoshi Silverstein and Hannah Henza. It was edited by Leora Nevins and distributed by the Chazon marketing team. To learn more, check out the show notes, visit our website at chazon.org slash Joffe, that's J-O-F-E-E, and be in touch. Where our hearts are